0: Today in the house of God, hallelujah, hallelujah, it's so good to be here, it's such an honor that I would have been called upon to deliver the word to you this morning, in Pastor Jeff did, and as I was thinking about yesterday reflecting on 9-11, I did not craft this message about that. But it just kept coming up. In fact, I couldn't even figure out. I've been struggling, come up with titles. When you know I'm usually speaking to the youth and young adults, and I always struggle with titles. <laughs> Early on in my ministry, I was the the title master, but now I struggle with that. I just just preach whatever happens, whatever happens. Um, but this kept coming up in my spirit, and it was, and it was never forget. Just as we've heard from yesterday. And so before we read the passage of scripture, just as an introduction to the message, you know, we have many memorials and we have many monuments and things that in this country that commemorate important events, important people, important things that have happened in our past. Some of them are even tragic reminders such as 9-11, but others will give us hope. And reason to celebrate. So memorials are a very big part of every culture. And they go back thousands and thousands of years. And the big idea with memorials is it signifies something important. And today I want to look at remembering what God has done and making sure we tell future generations. And I'm coming out of Isaiah chapter 46. Amen. Isaiah 46 And we're going to start with verse 8. And it reads, Do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Not palm readers not horoscopes God says only I can tell you the future before it even happens everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish God we thank you for your word hallelujah hallelujah you are God you are God by yourself hallelujah, that it is an honor we get to serve you, we get to worship you, the creator of us and the universe. And God, we just thank you right now, Father. God, I pray that you will stir up everything in our hearts, Lord, that we need to hear today, Father, to remember your goodness, to remember your faithfulness, to remember from whence we came from, God, and that we will never, ever forget of how good you are and how merciful you are. God, we praise you right now, Lord, and we ask, Holy Spirit, have your way. Take me out of this, God. I want the Holy Spirit to go forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may have your places. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you today. I am so excited about what God is doing. You know, I get a preview when I come in here. uh, But let me tell you, the Lord is moving in the youth ministry. He's moving in the young adults. And if any evidence is there from the 9 a.m. service, he is moving in what we call the big church as well. Amen. I'm so excited. So today, when we talk about never forgetting what God has done in our lives, we're talking about some, I'm going to be talking about some memorials in Scripture. And the word memorial comes from the Latin memos, which means mindful, to keep in mind. So memorials and memories associated with a person, place, or an event, you know, these tend to remain with us in many ways, and they remind us of things, whether they are good or whether they're bad, uh, such as the bad things like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or, you know, other things of that nature. But there's also a sense of message to us. It's a tandem, tangible symbol, a representation to honor and remember that place or that event or that person for future generations. And all throughout scripture, we see memorials as well. And I want to share some of these with you. In Exodus 16, there was a jar of manna that was kept as a keepsake. And it was done so that future generations would see and be mindful and reminded how God cared for his people in the wilderness. We also see all throughout the Old Testament Noah, Abraham, uh, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, David, all these others in the Old Testament would build altars to honor God and to commemorate him of what he had accomplished and to remind the future generation of what God was like. In fact, I want to look at Genesis 13 and we look at Abraham. Verse 3 it says, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. I want you to catch that, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So he had this encounter with God, and he went right back to that beginning of that encounter with God. Something special, something to remember. And and sometimes we've got to do the same thing. I know there's times I have really forgotten where I came from. I have really forgotten the the state of mind that I was in and the sin that I was trapped in and the things that I was doing. And I think it's a good, healthy thing that we go back to the beginning sometimes and we remember what God did. We remember how faithful he was to provide then and how he delivered us and the sinful state that we were in. In fact, David says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So there is a healthy thing about going back and saying, God, You were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. So Abraham not only built something to signify this important event in his life, but he also traveled back to connect with God to that place again. Sometimes we got to go back to connect with God. Sometimes we've lost that awe and that inspiration that we've had from God and the wonder that we had when we first got saved. I was talking to a, a man just a couple of weeks ago in the young adults, and he had just been saved 10 months and as I was talking to him, he was just so excited. You could just see in his eyes, he was just like, man, I just, I love my life right now. And he was just going on saying, I, I worked in this job and I had all this money and I had this and that. And, you know, I was a top guy in this and um, I was going, traveling all over the place and just talking about all the things he's done. And he said, but I felt emptiness inside. And then when Jesus came into my heart, everything started changing. He said, I drive home from work now. I look at the sunset, and it's just like God is reaching his arms out to hug me. And he starts talking about trees and all other stuff. And and I just see that excitement. I'm like, man, I remember when I first got saved, how everything just looked different. The world opened up to me. And this is what he was describing. And it really got me on fire because it brought me back to that first encounter. We see all in the New Testament as well. You know, we just took communion, and and Paul commanded us to do that. Jesus at the Last Supper said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I'm about to do. Remember the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and do it as often as you can to remember me. And there's many, many more examples. But the big idea with memorials is to remember something important. As believers in Jesus, we have a reason to celebrate. Christianity should not be boring. Christianity should not be, well, I just got saved. Now what do I do? Every single day is a celebration, or at least it should be. Your sins are forgiven. You're in your right mind. God is still on the throne. There is still hope. It's a reason to celebrate. And we have a story to tell about all the good things God has done in our lives, and we should be telling it every chance we get. We're not breathing on our own, we're breathing to tell the goodness of God. Hallelujah. The Bible exhorts us to remember what God has done in our lives and then to look forward to what He is yet to do, but also to share with the next generation. Another example in the Old Testament, Joshua had this very thing in mind. He was thinking about the next generation. He told the children of Israel, we are about to cross the Jordan River. And I'm sure they were like, how are we going to do that? Look at this river. It's flowing fast. It's mighty. But he trusted God. And he knew we're about to cross the Jordan River. And what I want you to do is take 12 stones, one for each tribe, and we're going to build a memorial to tell the next generation how good our God is. (laughs) To tell them that he provided a way into the promised land. And he will provide a way for you too, the next generation coming behind us. This is what it's all about. Joshua 4 verse 21. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, catch this, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Notice he said, don't ponder it, but tell them. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all the people who don't serve your God, so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Oh, hallelujah. That is a great... Great testimony. Joshua is showing that example, and I believe that resonates strongly today. What memories are we leaving for the next generation? What memorials are we building? What altars are we building? What things are we showing the next generation of how good our God is and telling them that if he did it for me, he'll do it for you? The children... Their children, the children's children, all these generations are going to see this and they're going to ask questions. What are they seeing in our lives that provokes questions about the God we serve? What are they seeing on your job? Unbelievers seeing that will prov- provoke a question to say, well, you know, I notice you don't get in these conversations with these other guys when they're talking perverted. You know, I notice that you don't go out to happy hour with everybody else. What is it about you? You're different. Let them ask the questions and you point them to the glory of God because he's our only hope. Amen. God was also warning the Israelites to not forget what they saw him do. You see the the pattern here that there's a pattern of forgetfulness. I think it rings true today as well. At least it does with me, but he destroyed all the idols of the nations around him that were not serving God. And he also destroyed the people that served these idols. To show how great and mighty he is, look at Deuteronomy 4 9. He says, But watch out. Be careful. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. And the Bible tells us that today because we have a tendency to forget. A few things that I was looking at in scripture when it talks about to remember. The first one I want to share is remember who he is. Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember how great he is. Remember how faithful he is. Remember how marvelous he is. Remember how wonderful he is. Remember when he made a way where there was no way. Remember that his promises are yes and amen. Remember that our God is still on the throne. Remember if he did it then, he'll do it today because he has not changed. We've got to remember the character of our God. He's compassionate. He is long-suffering. He forbears with us. When he could have took us out, he has long-suffered with us. He is very patient and very kind to his children. We should remember who we were before he changed us, a slave to sin, in bondage, loving the world, embracing the world, taking on the customs of the world, right? Developing sinful habits, habits and things like that. Revelation 2, 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. That's a great word right now for the church of America repent and do the works you did at first because if not Jesus says this is in red I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent the lampstand being influence you'll have no influence if you're trying to blend in with the world and go to church at the same time that's no influence for the kingdom of God The next thing, remember what he has done, Deuteronomy 8.2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Then we look at Psalm 105.5. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Remember his promises. Remember who he is. Remember where he brought you from. Remember the state you were in, and remember he's coming back. Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back for a spot, or a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. He's coming back for his glorious bride. He's coming back to rescue us. He's coming back. It's not over with. It's not done. When the enemy says that's it and it's over with, God is saying, I'm coming back. I yet have a plan. I'm coming back. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves he's coming back when we get in trouble and the things around us, the pressure of this world. You know, the word of God is meant to be passed down. Early on, back in Bible days, they didn't have what we have right now, the Bibles that we open up, that we take for granted sometimes. When I was growing up, the only Bible I saw was on my grandmother's um, coffee table that was always opened up. I don't know what it was opened up to because I never looked at it, but I, I wasn't raised in the church. So it was very foreign to me. But early on, the word of God was being passed on by people telling the stories of what God had done. Families gathering and say, let me tell you what God has done. And they would pass it on to the next generation. Before any single scripture was written on a scroll, faithful men, faithful women were passing on the goodness of God. And we can talk all day long about negative things. And we have a tendency to focus on those sometimes. We can talk negatively about Generation Z, Gen Z, which is the teenage generation. And I remember when I was uh, a teenager, we were called Generation X. And the generations before me used to say we weren't going to do anything in life. We were messing up. This is why the country is the way it is because of this generation. And, you know, we had our pagers, and that meant we were drug dealers, right? Remember my mom? I had a pager. My mom was like, what are you doing? Dealing drugs? I'm like, no, this is, this is a thing. Everyone's got one, you know, that type of weird thing, right? I still have a pager, a pager by the way, just as a, a memorial um, <laughs> of the bad days, right? But, you know, we can, we can look at the next generation coming behind us and, and feel like, well, they should do this or they should do that or they should be in church more or they should be doing this. But are we really, really willing to disciple them? Are we really willing to mentor them? You know, it bothers me that there's some kids in the youth right now who really want to come to church, but their parents won't bring them. Some of them had a a really strong encounter with God at summer camp, but they have no way to get to church because their parents don't want to take them. And I wish I could. And it really bothers me because, look, (laughs) I wasn't that way when I was a teenager, and if I see a young person that wants to come to church, I'm going to get them to church no matter what. I want them to go. If I'm a parent, sure, I want you to go to church because usually it's the other way around. The parents got to drag the teenagers to church, but I love to hear when a teenager says, I want to go to church, and maybe they'll drag their parents. You know, when I got saved, my family wasn't going to church. But they saw a change in me. They saw something different in me. Now, it took a while because they wanted to see if it was a real thing, right? But eventually, they started going to church because they saw something in me that they didn't have. Listen, you're around people every single day that see something in you that they don't have. You know what that is? That is Jesus, the hope of glory. You have that hope that they're looking for. And we can't just walk around and not open our mouths and say something about that hope that we have. I love the new generation coming up. You know, we pass down so many bad things from generation to generation, but how about passing down good things? The righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the word of God, prayer, communion, fasting. How about pass good things along to this next generation that will mark and change their life forever? Because the word of God is incorruptible. We may not think that you praying over them and speaking a word over them is really going to do something. And if you're expecting immediate results, it's not really going to happen. But I promise you this, if that word gets planted, it is an incorruptible seed. And eventually, someone's going to come water it, and God will get the glory. And that's what we want. I want a generation of young and old marked by God. And if we had a generation of, of Christians in America really marked by God, I don't know if we would really be in the situation we're in right now in this country. And I'll get into that here in a second. But parents, grandparents, I'm speaking to you as a youth pastor who has spent almost 20 years ministering to teenagers and how desperate they need your love and affection and attention. I'm noticing, as I said in early service, from my beginning days as a youth pastor to now, I'm noticing the gap get bigger between parents and teenagers, particularly in church. And one of the reasons is because of this. I'm guilty just as you are. We spend a lot of time on this. and have no idea what they're spending their time on on this because we're not getting involved. Listen, I hear it all the time. As a matter of fact, Social media is one of the greatest um, contributors to modern depression in teenagers right now. There are scientific facts that prove it. And I'm not too much on the scientific facts, but I see it all the time. Why? Because they want to be caught up in how many likes they get, how many shares they get, how many people have viewed their video. And they base their significance and their importance based on how many likes they get and some some of them will post a picture of themselves and if there is not a certain amount of likes they'll just delete it cuz you could go on their page and not see many pictures at all because if they don't get a number of likes to them it speaks volumes about who they are that nobody cares about them but it starts from the top they wouldn't need to worry so much about how many likes they get on Instagram if they knew their parents really did like them and love them and showed them that love and affection that they need, you know, they, they get that started at an early age. You can see it on a playground when there's kids out there playing and the dad is not around and you're the only father out there. Those kids are looking at you like, look what I can do. They'll come up to you and say, look at this and they'll do a flip or they'll do something crazy. Right. And and they want your attention. It doesn't stop. You're the same way. I'm the same way. We always want to feel like we belong. We always want to have that attention. And we know we have it from our Father. But do we really know that we have it? Because if we really knew that we had the affection and attention of our God, I think we would live a little bit differently. I think we would. I was reading this book, and I believe it's called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler. Because I was like, I I have not... I was not raised as a Christian. I need to know how to raise my kids to know Jesus. I need some resources. I stumbled across this book. It had great reviews, and I was really excited to dive in, and, man, it was so, so good. I want to share a few things out of there because it's talked about celebrating milestones, such as their birthday, not just celebrating with a cake and presents, but speak a blessing over them. Tell them about the goodness of God, that he's the one that gives life. He's the one that brought them into this world. He created them. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knitted you in your mother's womb. Read Advent scriptures on the lead up to Christmas. And then at Christmas, maybe some of you do this, sing happy birthday to Jesus. Make a cake for Jesus so that we know the reason for the season and it's not just a tree and gifts. You can read Lenten scriptures on the way up to Easter. You can Take a family mission trip on Thanksgiving and serve those less fortunate. A number of things. Maybe on Veterans Day, you could write a letter to the, to the veterans and you can pray for the military and join in as a family and do that at the altar of God. Maybe at New Year, gather around the living room and set spiritual goals together and, and declare what God is going to do in the new year. Or what about the day they got saved? Do we know that? Do we mark that down? The day they got water baptized, the day they got dedicated to the Lord. And then every single year, let's celebrate that and say, you got baptized a year ago. You got saved two years ago. And we want to glorify God for that right now. So that will mark them forever to know that this is important in my life. That my parents care about this. God cares about this. And it will mark them, I believe, forever. And they'll pass it down to the next generation. We cannot forget about God and what he's done. His goodness, his faithfulness. We cannot forget the way he made a way when there was no way. So i encourage us to write a memento, write a letter, write something to your children, to your grandchildren, tell them about the goodness of God, put scripture in there. It'll be a lasting memory. Keep on telling your stories because they do not lose the fire. They do not lose the, the passion and make sure it doesn't. When Pastor Jeff tells his testimony all the time about being uh, in a juvenile detention center and he encountered God and got saved, I still get excited hearing that. And I can tell he gets excited hearing that. And you'll hear him say sometimes, I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. And that's the way we have to have our mindset. It doesn't matter who's heard it before. Keep talking about it. Keep refreshing your memory about it. Keep saying the goodness of God because somebody needs to hear it. My wife and I, or my family, we just uh, moved into a new house, and it was our first time to build. And I was... Um, you know, just going off of what the builders say, how many of you know if you've built a house that they can tell you it's going to be this time and it gets pushed back, get delayed, especially now. Um, but we had already sold our house in May and we had a lease back to the end of July because we thought our house would be done in July, but it, it didn't work out that way. We had renovated our house. We had put new flooring in. We had upgraded lots of things, fixtures, light fixtures, everything. It looked so much better than when we first moved in. And we were talking about, well, you know, what are we going to do? We have to be out of this house at the end of July. We have no place to go until the house is built. And they were saying around the end of August. We were asking the new owners, you know, can we rent from you? And they tried to charge us an outrageous amount per day. And we just started talking about it, and, and we both agreed that it's time to move on. Is we can't hold on to this house anymore. I mean, it looks nice. It's renovated, but it's time to move on. We don't know where we're going. Feeling like Abraham, go somewhere where you don't even know. We ended up spending time in a hotel, and um, a family took us in for a few weeks. But it started, I started thinking about that. You know what? That's pretty much like our spiritual life, right? We get comfy. We get cozy here on earth. Right? We got things that are new, shiny new toys, right? Things that look good and new friends and this excitement, and that's great, right? But I think sometimes we miss eternity because of all the good things happening here, all the renovations, all the new, fresh, exciting things, right? And God is telling us it's time to move forward. It's time to loosen that grip because this is not our permanent address. Just like that wasn't our address anymore, we had a new home waiting for us. And Jesus said, I am going away to prepare a place for you. And where I will be, you will be also. There is a new residence that we have, and it's called heaven. And guess what? There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more cancer. There's no more COVID. There's no more wars. There's no disease at all. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is where our focus should be because we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And if we cling too tightly to this earth, We're going to miss telling the next generation of the goodness of God because we're going to just be caught up in that moment. You know, I even found myself the other day, it's happened at least two or three times now, and my kids haven't even said anything. I've had to mention it. But going to our new house, we have to pass by our old house. And I have found myself a few times at a stop sign that goes to the main street to our house putting my blinker on and turning left and actually turning to go to the old house because I didn't remember I don't live here anymore. I didn't remember this is not my home anymore. It was just unconsciously just turning. And I think sometimes we just go back to our old ways and we don't even think about it. God has set us on a great path, a great journey, and we're going forward and everything's going good. We're going to church. Everything's going great. But every now and then, if we're not careful, we might have the tendency to go left when we should be going straight. As I close, as I close, I want to say that you know, yesterday we remembered 20 years. 20 years when this country was under attack by terrorists. I started reflecting on that and my kid, kids were asking me questions. You know, what, where, where was I at that day and what happened and how was it? And, you know, I began to think back and just started rehearsing that and the feelings I had. And, and I told him I felt like at first when the first plane hit, I just thought it was some freak accident. But then I only even think it was an hour later, a second plane hit. And I, then I knew America's under attack. And I remember just felt like a dark cloud hovering over the whole day. Does anybody remember that? I I was working by the airport. And when we left our jobs that day, you didn't see planes at all in the sky. And that was really weird because you're used to hearing them and seeing them, but nothing was going on. Um, People seemed a little bit nicer on the highways and the traffic. There was less traffic, but it seemed, you know, people were more generous to let you over instead of cutting you off, you know. And as soon as I got home, I glued my eyes to the TV, which I'm sure most of you did if you were here then. And I saw a powerful imagery of solidarity in this country that I have never seen before. I saw Democrats. I saw Republicans on the steps of Capitol Hill, hand in hand, Different races, different cultures, all opinions and things aside, all policies aside. And they prayed for this country and they all sang, God bless America. It sent chills up my spine because I had never seen that before. And it was a a show of strength for this nation that we will not be taunted by the enemy, that the enemy will not have victory over us. And I felt that day that we are finally one. And 20 years later, I see that we have tragically forgotten about that day. If there was a lesson to be learned from 9 11, America collectively has forgotten it. And God was knocking on the door of our hearts. Churches were full at least three or four weeks. Our church, I was in a small church, we had to pull out chairs every Sunday there for a while because people did not know what was going on, they were scared. And they were coming to the one place where there was hope. And now I look out here, and I don't see as many full chairs anymore. I know some of us are weary, we're battered, we're bruised. But it's time to stand up and fight because there's a bigger battle than terrorists. There's spiritual warfare going on. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the enemy is going to come in and steal everything that God is sown in this great country and is sown in our families and the only way that that is going to happen is if we're not watchful and we're not praying and we're not remembering the goodness of God and declaring it to the next generation because just as my kids asked me that question what happened at 9-11 because they weren't here they didn't know If I was so quick to be able to share those memories, I should be so quick to share the memories of my first encounter with God and how he's been moving in my life and every single thing he's done in my life because there's going to come a time where they're going to need that same hope. When they come out of my house, they leave my house, and they're adults, and they're going to need something to hold on to. And I don't want it to be drugs. I don't want it to be alcohol. I don't want them to be depressed. I want them to know the freedom only found in Jesus. And we have a responsibility to share that. Would you stand to your feet? The nation today, our nation has forsaken God in so many ways and keeps pushing him out of the public square. His principles, we don't want him here. We don't want him there. In 1962, prayer was taken out of schools. One year later, no more Bible reading. 1980, removing Ten Commandments from being posted on the wall. And we see it every single day, more and more. They do not want to hear about God. Christianity is never more than one generation away from being extinct God forbid we don't pass along the goodness of God the next generation is not going to know unless we say something and I have a huge burden on my heart because just like God warned Israel not to let the environment of the culture influence them and dictate to them the values that the world embraced we cannot let them dictate the values that we embrace As a church of God in Christ, we cannot allow the world to dictate to us what the Bible clearly says. And it starts with us. What has God done in your life that you should be sharing, that I should be sharing? I I declare we should be doing that right now. If we go out to a restaurant, we need to pray for waitresses and waiters. They're under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because of short staffing and, and other issues but we have the hope. God forbid that I just walk by somebody and don't tell them about Jesus anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living in my Christian bubble while the world around me is suffering and I have the cure. And then we wonder why America's in the state that it is. It's because the church in America is not being the light and the salt of the earth. And we got to get out there, y'all. We got to get out there. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes. Harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. God, help us to remember where we were. Some of us were in a bar. Some of us were in a club. Some of us was strung out on drugs. Some of us were in church, God. Some of us were just in a mess, Lord, and you came and you captured our hearts. Let us not forget that, God, and let us tell the next generation because they so need to hear about your goodness and how you will make a river in the desert. God, let us be faithful as as fathers and as single parents and single mothers to disciple our children and as grandparents to disciple our children's children, Father. Teach them the ways of God because it starts at the home first. You have put that on us, little Lord. That is a mantle that has given you've been given us and you've anointed us to do it to make disciples. And I just want to pray for those right now who feel like they're not equipped to do it. Maybe you feel like I don't know where to start. You start by asking God. You start by saying, God, I am helpless. I want to teach my children, but I need your help. I need your grace. You start by rearranging your schedule and making sure that God is number one. So I just speak and declare right now that God give you the grace and the power and the strength and the anointing to do so. So, Father, I pray right now, O oh Lord, we will not keep our mouths shut. We will keep talking about Jesus until the day we return to him. In Jesus' name. Amen.